Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Last week, I went on Instagram, and the first thing I saw was uh, this guy. He got a new job at Google, and I don't know if you can see it, so I drew an arrow real big there. His only caption to the picture is that he is hashtag blessed. At the very same time, uh, some people got together on the other side of the world in Spain, and the caption to the picture says, souls recognize each other by the vibes. I don't know what that means or if it's true, Um, but this much I do know is that they're grateful to have lunch with friends. Hashtag grateful, hashtag friendship goals, hashtag blessed. This dude caught a smallmouth bass, not going out for lunch at a fancy place in wherever they're at, but he's stoked about this bass. Tons of different uh, hashtags there. He's got photo of the day, hashtag hold on, hashtag keep going, and hashtag blessed. Pretty exciting, right? Uh, This guy getting to celebrate his birthday with his daughters. Mom takes a picture. There's some hashtag precious moments, hashtag family, and hashtag proud. And of course, hashtag blessed, for sure. Different kind of blessing. She's pretty proud that she's fitting in in her happy place, it says. And she is hashtag grateful and hashtag blessed that she is on vacation. Not exactly my idea of vacation, but this guy um, is pretty stoked that he's uh, getting a rideable and it didn't know this, but it was National Hat Day and he was hashtag blessed. All right, one more. This guy, he's pretty proud that while everyone's out there riding bulls and catching fish and out to lunch with their friends, he is by himself in the gym, keeping it locked in, hashtag locked in, and he is hashtag blessed. And this guy is not only hashtag blessed, check out his shirt, it says blessed. (laughs) Hashtag blessed. These are some pretty incredible blessings, am I right? I mean, whatever your thing is, maybe it's bull riding, uh, maybe it's getting a job at Google. That's, that's a pretty awesome thing. That's an amazing blessing. So also um, is getting to have lunch with friends and getting to celebrate your birthday, those special moments in life with people that you love. That's what makes life absolutely amazing. That's a blessing. It's an amazing opportunity to get to go on vacation That's a blessing. It's an incredible ability to get to lift weights. That's a blessing. No doubt about it. Those people, they're blessed. That makes sense to me. Makes sense to you. I think it makes sense to most people. That's why we see 120 million uses of hashtag blessed all the time. Until this, until Jesus comes along in his Sermon on the Mount and says this, This is Matthew chapter five. We'll begin reading at verse three. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. That's what Jesus said, hashtag blessed looks like. Poor people, hungry people, meek people, and mourning people. 
This doesn't seem to make any sense to me because I'm not telling you any secret, but you know it, that hunger, poverty, mourning, meekness, these are human inabilities. These are human uh, capacities where we're found empty and wanting. These are not virtues. They are not positive virtues. So what's Jesus talking about? What does it, what does it mean to be blessed? I mentioned it a moment ago that Matthew chapter 5 is Jesus' very famous sermon on the mount. And perhaps his most famous words in that entire sermon are the Beatitudes that start out the first 12 verses in that sermon. Beatitude has nothing to do with attitude. It, it, it's a word that means supremely blessed. And what Jesus is doing is describing what it means to be supremely blessed. But what's he talking about? That the meek are blessed. Because last time I checked it, I thought that uh, nice guys finish last. And what's he doing talking about that the poor are extremely, supremely blessed? I think it's a blessing to the fact that I can go out to lunch with my friends and and we can go on vacations like that young lady and, and you can pay for things like that. I thought that's being blessed. What's up with those who mourn being blessed? I thought it was when we cheer new jobs, when we cheer accomplishments in the gym or wherever, that is blessedness. What is Jesus talking about? What does it mean to be blessed? Well, what we're going to find out right away in God's word this morning is this, that being blessed is less about feels and it's more about facts. Being blessed is, is less about feeling good vibes or, or having good memories or good moments or a good workout. And it's more about some facts. Being blessed is less about fickle emotions, but more about some cold, hard facts. But what are those facts? And, and what does that mean to be blessed? Because especially as we look at how Instagram and well, let's be honest, you and I understand blessedness. It doesn't really always match up with what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew chapter 5. That's what we're going to unpack today. We're in the third week of our sermon series that's called New Year, New You, where we are looking at how the gospel transforms us and our lives and actually makes us new people. In the first week, we looked at how God's revelation of the gospel, it actually makes us new, more happier versions of ourselves. Last week, we looked at God's bapti Christ's baptism and how there at that baptism, God spoke to Jesus, his son, and he said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I'm well pleased. And we saw how that message of the gospel revealed to us in our baptisms Oh, that makes us new, more confident versions of ourselves because the words spoken to Jesus at his baptism, the words for you too, that you are God's daughter, you are God's son, and he is well pleased with you. Today, we're looking at what it means to be a new, more supremely blessed version of yourself. We're going to look at four, just four of the Beatitudes, the first four this morning, and see what Christ means by that. But I have to warn you, this is completely backwards from everything that our world and you and I at times understand about blessedness. And even though it's backwards, even though it's upside down, take note, because this couldn't be more practical, nor could it be more beautiful to us and for us. 
Let's get into it. This is Matthew chapter five. And Jesus' disciples, a large crowd of them gathered together around him. And so to preach and teach them what he did, he went up on a mountain. And this is the very, very first thing he said to them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor. You know the language of our culture. It's a very vivid language. And our culture is, if nothing else, a self-help culture. We talked about it a little bit last week. What are some of the phrases that you hear? You hear that you got this. Don't listen to the haters. You can believe it. You can achieve it. You got this. You can do this. What happens in the very first uh, beatitude? Jesus comes along and he says, no, actually, you don't got this. You're poor. You're poor. You don't have anything. That, that's what it means to be poor. It means that you don't have what it takes to pay for the thing you need to. You don't have what you need to pay off your debts. That's what it means being poor, that you don't have what it takes to take care of your problems. That's the first fact that we're looking at today. And if you're following along in your worship guides, it's this, it's that my problems, whatever they are, my problems are beyond me. That's what Jesus means when he says, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. And that's just it. It's, it's not just that you're poor financially or you're in a poor situation uh, socially or psychologically. No, he says your problem's way worse than any of that. It's a spiritual issue. You have spiritual poverty. And yet he says, you are blessed. <laughs> he says, you are blessed and the kingdom of heaven is yours. I think you're starting to see what I mean by it's less about feels and more about facts because it does not feel good to admit that my problems are beyond me. And yet that's what Jesus says. <laughs> you're blessed. You are supremely blessed. How so? He goes on to explain it. In the second one, he says this, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. In the first beatitude, we looked at <laughs> that it's about my problems. It's about the fact that my problems are beyond me. In the second beatitude, it takes it a step deeper. Not only do you have problems, not only are there symptoms of those problems, but it, here it, it looks at the cause of those problems. A little while ago, there was a problem in my house. Our refrigerator, uh, where you put the water in, yeah, it didn't squirt water out anymore. And so my wife, let me know about this problem. She said, Matt, the water dispenser, it, it doesn't work. What she was trying to do was point out the seriousness of this problem and the symptoms to me. She said, yeah, the, the water dispenser, it's not working. I said, yo, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yo, uh, I read online that you just got to take a blow dryer, hair dryer, and you know, you know, clean out the lines. They get frozen sometime. She said, no, I don't think you understand. I, there's water pooling up on the bottom of the freezer and freezing in a place where there's not supposed to be water. I said, well, yeah, that's condensation. That happens all the time. I'll, I'll try to get at it and chip it away and clean it out. Gave it the old college try. I couldn't do it. What was happening there? Well, my wife was trying to show me that there is a serious problem here. And I don't know if you're like this, but this is me. I don't like admitting when I have a problem. I don't like being poor in spirit. I don't like having to admit when my problems are beyond me and I can't take care of them. Because then what happens? Well, what happens is what did happen. I have to go to somebody else. 
I have to call up a repair person to come and fix my problem. And when they come, they go beyond the symptoms. They don't just go, oh yeah, you have frozen water lines, or yeah, you got a puddle in your freezer. No, they go deeper than that. They, they identify the cause of the problem. And that causes me sorrow. That causes me, uh, well, a loss of money. That, that costs me, and it, well, it makes me mourn. And that's what Jesus is getting at in this second parable. It's like, you have a problem, a problem that is sin. That's what your problem is. And when Jesus comes as the repairman, if you will, in our lives to fix us and make us better, he doesn't mess around. He identifies what the problem is. It's sin. Before we go on, we should probably talk about what sin is. Oftentimes we just think, oh, sin is, is sinful things. It's, it's bad things. Or, oh, sin, that's the devil making me do things. But here's a picture of, of sin that has really um, been eye-opening for me. It's a picture of a parent with a two-year-old, three-year-old, a toddler. And to cross the road, the parent says, you, you got to hold my hand. You, you have to hold my hand when we step out into the street. And the young child swats away the hand, says no, runs out into the road, and well, they step in traffic and they, they get hit. They get injured or, or maybe even killed. That's a problem. That's a, that's a sin. But that's only a symptom of the problem, getting injured or getting killed. No, no, no. Something far worse than that is they thought in pride they could step out on their own. They could do their own thing. That's what sin is. What is the essence of sin? Is it, is it murder? Is it rape? Is it lying? Is it cheating? Is it stealing? No, the Bible says beyond all of that, this is sin. Isaiah chapter 53 says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. What is sin? Oh, it's, it's certainly the things that I listed before, murder, rape, lying, stealing, but it goes beyond that. Those are just the symptoms. Sin is, is each and every one of us doing our own thing, swatting away at the, at the hand of our God and saying, no, I want to do things my own way. That's sin. And until you admit that, until you admit that that is my sin, that that is my problem, not the devil making me do it, not someone else causing this, but me wanting to do my own thing against what my father says, well, you're not mourning. You're, you're not mourning and you won't be comforted. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who realize that their problem is a spiritual one and, it, and it's sin for they will be comforted. You might say, how, how does this work? How does this work that this is actually a good thing that people who have problems that are beyond them, people who have problems of sin are, are blessed? This seems like a pretty psychologically damaging thing. It, it seems hopeless. This is where it starts to get really good. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Once you realize that your problems are beyond you, and once you realize that your, your problem is not because of your situation in life, your problem is not because of your genetics and your genes and your parents, and your problem, well, isn't your spouse's fault or your parents' fault, or your kids' fault. No, your problem is you and you trying to do your own thing. There's two ways you can go. 
There's, there's two different paths that you can take. The first thing that you can do is admit that and say, you know what? That's just it. My problems are beyond me. My problems are sin. God, I know that that makes you angry and that sure makes me angry. And I'm going to sit here and I'm going to sulk about that. I'm going to be mad about that. In fact, I'm going to kick myself. And you're right. I'm, I'm a failure. I'm a, I'm a loser and I can't do anything right. I'm not going to ever be able to make you happy. But that's not mourning your sin. <laughs> that's self-pity. That's another form of selfishness. That's self-indulgence, and that certainly isn't repentance. That certainly isn't looking at your sins and and mourning over your sins. No, there's a big difference between self-pity and and repentance, that is, mourning your sins. You want to know what that difference is? It's meekness. It's humbly approaching God. It's humbly looking at yourself and your sins and saying, God, yeah, I, I have a problem. It is a spiritual problem. It's a problem that saddens you and that makes me sad. And well, I don't have any help of my own to offer. I have no solution to this problem. That's meekness. Meekness is taking your eyes off of yourself, even your eyes off of your own self-pity party, even your eyes off of your own self-indulgence, even over your sins, and focusing them elsewhere on on something else. And Jesus says, when when you do that, you will be blessed. You will be be blessed. But where does that that help come from? Where, Where is that offered? Well, this is it. Right in the middle of the Beatitudes, at the pinnacle, the middle, middle Beatitude here, we find the gospel, the good news of, of where this all comes together. It comes together in righteousness. Jesus says this. He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Notice for a second what it says. And notice also what it doesn't say. What it doesn't say is that Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for blessedness. Doesn't say those who hunger and thirst for being hashtag blessed, for having happiness and and all of the Instagram blessings are going to be blessed. No, it says those who hunger and thirst for, for something better, for something far better than even blessedness. Because, well, you see, there's this fundamental rule in the kingdom of God that, that when you seek after things, other things, whether it's good times with family or, or good jobs or, or good vacations or, or anything else that makes you happy or blessed, you're never going to find it. You're never going to be filled. What does he say? He says, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and and then you will be filled. Then everything else will be yours. So why is it? Why is it that righteousness is better than blessedness? And what is righteousness? Well, I don't know how you think about righteousness or, or how you would define that, but it, think about it the way the Bible talks about it. The way that righteousness is always used in the Bible is it's talked about in terms of acceptance, in terms of approval, that there is rightness, that there is rightness between you and God. Let me give you some examples and you will tell me what they all have in common. 
You go in for a musical audition uh, because you really want to be in this choir or this band. You go out on a date with somebody, somebody that you really like, and you really would like them to like you back. You go in for a job interview, a really big, really important job interview. Or maybe you take a test, or you take an exam that's really important for you to be able to, to get into this class or get into this school or get into this group. What do all those things have in common? Well, they're certainly pressure situations, but what you're looking for in all of those is rightness. You're looking for approval. You're looking for a certain verdict. You're looking for acceptance. You would want nothing more than for the person you gave your resume to say, yeah, you're it. You're the man. You're the woman for the job. There's no one better than you to fill this seat. It would make you absolutely crazy happy if you step into the audition and you hear them say, we have never heard such a great audition before. You're in. You want them to say yes to the second date. You want that test to go well. And if those things do go well, if you get all of those things, you're going to be happy. You're going to be filled. You're going to want that. You're going to be elated. But if you don't, then what happens? Then you're crushed. (laughs) Then you're destroyed. Then you're distraught that you don't have these things. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it is being found attractive by the opposite sex. Maybe it is getting into the band or into that class and passing a test. Maybe it's not academic in nature. Maybe it's just passing the test with your, with your peer group. But we all have standards. We're all looking for that approval, for that acceptance in life. And when we get it, it's good. And when we don't, it's bad. And there's a reason we're all looking for that, for that acceptance, for that approval And, well, the Bible is perfectly clear why that is. Romans chapter 3 tells us there is no one righteous, not even one. There is not one person who is super fulfilled with that acceptance, with that approval, with that in their lives. That's what this verse, this beatitude makes perfectly clear. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. People who are hungry and thirsting, they are not looking for that which they already have. If I'm, if I'm hungry I, and I have food, I eat it. If I'm thirsty and I have water, I drink it. No, they're hungering. They're thirsting for the thing that they don't have. That, Jesus says, is blessedness. And He says, when you hunger, when you thirst for that, well, you're filled with it. How how does that work that that equals blessedness? Becky Pickett is somebody who has um, done a lot of speaking. She's a Christian writer and a Christian speaker. And She goes touring, giving lots of presentations. After one presentation, a young lady uh, came up to her and and said, I need to talk to you. And so they did. She said, I need to talk to you um, privately. And so they did. And the young woman told her this story. She said, I am a member of a very traditional, very conservative Christian church. And recently, I got engaged. Uh, and married to a young man, handsome young man who is also a member of that very traditional, very conservative Christian church. 
And everything was great. Everyone was really happy for us because we are leaders in our community. We are shining stars in our church. We do so much for the ministry. So everyone was super thrilled when we got together and got engaged. Um, and then I got pregnant. Six months, actually, before we were to get married, I, I got pregnant by him. And we realized the scandal. We realized the problems that would come along with that. We realized how we would be viewed after that, that we would be viewed as hypocrites, that we would be viewed as the fact that everything we're preaching, everything that we're talking about in our lives, it's not what we live by. And the lady, the young lady told Becky that, well, to solve our problem, uh, we got an abortion. And I knew it wasn't right. I knew it was wrong. I knew that we were going to get married in six months and we wanted to have children and we were expecting that that would happen in our lives. But I did it anyways. I did it because I was, I was worried about the acceptance, the, the approval of everybody else. And now I can't shake it. I, I can't deal with it. Because on that wedding day, when I was walking down the aisle and everyone was looking at me as a glowing, beautiful bride, all I could hear, all I could think about was the fact that I'm a murderer. The fact that I took someone's life, that I took my own child's life. I can't stop thinking about it. I can't forgive myself because how could God forgive something like this? Becky swallowed hard and she looked at that young lady and a little concerned with how it would go. She told her, my friend, you were a murderer long before this happened. She said, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died for the moral and he died for the immoral. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he, did, he died for the religious people and he died for the irreligious people. It was your pride. It was you doing your own thing that put Jesus on the cross. And well, it is, it is your doing here, your sin here that put him on the cross as well. And yet, and yet he loves you. He forgives you. How do you think that young lady reacted to that? She came confessing something that is absolutely terrible, something she thought was the worst. And what did Becky tell her? She told her she did something even worse. She did something far worse than what she thought she did. How did she react? She said, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're telling me that Jesus forgave that. So if Jesus forgave that thing, if he forgave everything that I did, that means he could forgive anything. <laughs> Don't you see? Like, she's standing there in that moment, realizing that her, her obsession over this sin, her obsessiveness over the fact that she couldn't forgive herself and God couldn't forgive her. Why? Why? Because she was looking for her approval. She was looking for her acceptance from other people from coming within her. She looked for it with how her relationship went with the people in her Christian community, with how her relationship went with her fiance, with the things that she did in church, the good things that she did. This was her righteousness. This was her acceptance. This was her approval. And when it all came crashing down, when she realized at that moment that, that it was in jeopardy of, of going away, well, she was starving. <laughs> She was thirsting for a righteousness that wasn't her own, a righteousness that came from outside of her. 
That's what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness, that I need a righteousness that is not my own. I need a righteousness that comes from outside of me. And in that moment, when she realized that she had done something far worse, something worse than she ever thought imaginable, that she couldn't even picture herself doing, and yet Christ still loved her, still approved of her, still accepted her, (laughs) that's righteousness. That's blessedness. Can I tell you the secret? about acceptance and the secret about approval, the secret about righteousness. If you're always being told that you are the best, that you are the most beautiful, that you are the most blessed, the best friend, all of these things, you're never going to find righteousness. You're never going to find the approval that you need. Because if everyone around you is always telling you that they love you, well, at the heart of it, you're going to know, or you're at least going to wonder, would they? Would they still love me and think this of me if they find out who I really am? Would they? And that's just it. From the vantage point of the cross, from Christ's view on the cross, he looks at each and every one of you. He looks at me and he says, I see you. I know exactly who you are and I still accept you. I still love you. I am filling you with my righteousness. <laughs> Being blessed. Now, it's, it's, it's not about the feels, but it's about some facts. It's not about feeling good sometimes. It's, it's not about feeling good some around just someone. No, it's not about verdicts or approvals. It's about one verdict, one approval. And that is your God who from the cross said, I love you. I accept you. Yes, I accept you even at your worst. <laughs> I fill you with all of my goodness, all of my righteousness. And now, you are anew, supremely blessed. You. Amen.